Welcome, welcome, welcome to Play the Kids. I am your host, Kevin McCamish. We are sponsored by Roughneck Scarves, and we're part of the Beautiful Game Network. Um, Josh is not here currently, but hopefully he will join soon enough. Don't forget to uh, subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. You can find our website, www.playthekids.com. So right off the bat, some T2 news. We are uh, second place in the West. <laughs> That's right. Second place. And not even tied this time. We are straight up holding second place all by ourselves. Um, Real Monarchs in first with 31 points. We are in second with 26. Phoenix Rising in third with 25. Sacramento tied with them also with 25. Everybody with 14 games played except for Real Monarchs. So not only do the Monarchs have five points on us they also have a game in hand however the news part of it this is uh, monarch's head coach mark briggs uh currently suspended indefinitely i believe while under investigation for allegations of domestic assault violence and offering money to his girlfriend to stop speaking with the police yes you heard that right um again allegations hal has to go through trial um, you know, innocent until proven guilty. Uh, so we're not going to go into a whole lot of that. If true, that is downright awful. Um, so that could, I don't know, maybe disrupt the team. Maybe not. I don't know. Sometimes those off the field things can cause some issues. Uh, with the team directly behind us, Phoenix Rising, their head coach. Patrice Carteron. Carteron? Carteron? I don't know how to pronounce that. I apologize. Uh, he's left the club to pursue a head coaching job in Egypt with Al Ali FC. So the teams directly above and below us are a little bit of a coaching flux. Again, neither situation is not guaranteed to have an effect on play, uh, but certainly those type of distractions can't really make it easier either. So uh, it would be, I don't know, if T2 can keep doing what they're doing, if Monarch stumble, if Phoenix stumbles, uh, boy, it would be pretty interesting to be first. And different than, than seasons in the past, the best team in the West, or best team in the league is in the Western Conference this season. Uh, right now, Real Monarchs, best in the entire league with 31 points. First place in the East is FC Cincinnati, 26 points. So that means that Portland is the third best team in the entire league. Uh, third, because I believe Cincy has us on tiebreakers. Um, not that it matters because they're in a different conference. But considering that last season, T2 was the single worst team in the entire league, we are now the third best team in the entire league <laughs> what a change of fortune um so that's i i i mean that's really good it's pretty awesome um so yeah that's some good news for t2 uh they i sincerely hope they keep it up um <clears throat> in addition to being the third best team in the entire league currently there are still 20 more games because it's a 34-game season. Um, 
So there's still 20 more for us to play. But we continue to get shutouts. Um, and Pittsburgh and Orange County have been stumbling just enough uh, that we actually have the single most shutouts of any team in the entire league with eight. Single-handedly, we're not, not tied with Pittsburgh anymore. Uh, the shutout against Rio Grande Valley put us in the uh, the, the seat all by ourselves. Um, Pittsburgh and Orange County are right behind us with seven shutouts each. We have eight. Um, we are still near the top, um, tied for third with Cincinnati on most goals scored, 24 goals in 14 games. So uh, tied for third across the entire league in goals scored, the best in the league as far as shutouts are concerned. Uh, seems to me like that is a pretty darn good balanced team. Uh, T2, 14 games played, they've won eight, it, which is almost three times as many that they've won last season all combined, right? <laughs> four at home out of five, four on the road out of nine. They're obviously better at home than on the road, but uh, if you take just the straight-up wins, it's split. Four at home, four on the road. So it's nice to see that they can win home or away. doesn't matter. Uh, T2 even has four 1-0 victories, so they can definitely grind out the results if needed. Um, five shutouts in the last six wins, only a single loss in the last six games. That was against San Antonio. Um, yeah, this team can do it all, it seems like. So that's exciting. Um, T2's current pace, blistering 1.857 points per game and if they can keep this up if, if they keep that pace for the remaining 20 games they'll earn another 37 points um so that would have us ending on 63 points more points than both 2016 and 2017's seasons combined it's almost as many points as 2015 and 2016 combined which was 70 uh, also on the USL show, one of our resident stat guys has a prediction algorithm. Um, it's, it's, it's does well. It gets more accurate as the season goes on. The la it's really, really accurate the last two months of the season. But right now, it predicts T2 ending on 60 points. So not far off our current pace. Um, however, with everybody else in the 34-game season and Real Monarchs still currently being really, really good, Phoenix Rising still being what they are, Sacramento. Uh, it has us uh, with only with 60 points will have us only be good for fourth place. Still, that's better than we've ever done in the entire in the past. 60 points is is uh, shatters the record of any of, of every season. So, uh, you know, the lowest home seed, I'd take it. But we'd still be in the playoffs. Um, anything above that, I mean, the sky's the limit, I think. So, this is definitely a season where I think T2 is going to be hitting the playoffs, so that'll be nice. Be getting some extra time in covering them through October and November, probably. Um, but yeah, so our USL show prediction algorithm says 60 points. Current pace says 63. Either way, uh, it's looking to be a pretty good season. Um, so off the bat, let's check here real quick all right so first game uh we need to cover uh, away to san antonio uh, saturday june 2nd t2 unfortunately lose all the points in second half stoppage time it's uh, not ideal 
Um, I don't think the best situation occurred with the team. Uh, first team kept Foster Langsdorf, Eric Williamson, Kendall McIntosh, and Modu Jadama in town. So T2 basically went into this match missing their leading scorer, best keeper, best defender, and arguably their best central midfielder. Um, so literally when you take the entire spine out of the team from keeper, defender, midfielder, and leading forward, uh, it's probably not going to work out too well for you. Um, entire first half is just not worth talking about, not even worth watching. There were literally no key plays in the first half. Um, T2 are good enough defensively, but absolutely lacking anything going forward. Like, literally nothing going forward. Um, Derrickson Vuelta was the striker in the first 45 minutes. I was not impressed. Uh, Jeremy Ibobasi came on for Derrickson at, at the break, and T2 immediately looked better. Uh, I think potentially their first shot, can't remember if it was their first shot or not, but it was a shot for T2, um, came from Ibobasi. Uh, in the goal, he went just wide in the 47th minute. So obviously he was once he came on, he was already making an impact. Um, not in, enough of an impact though, um, because the T2 attack was still quite awful. Uh, San Antonio outshot T2 20 to four. Uh, San Antonio had six shots on target to T2's one single shot on target that single shot on target was uh augie williams converted pk in the 50th minute that's all t2 had um now they were up one nil after that pk until the 86th minute so they almost had three points in this game despite the uh lack of attack and the um i believe it was 36 clearances in the game yes 36 uh, San Antonio only had to clear the ball twice. It was uh, to, to, to say the field was tilted towards T2's goal is quite the understatement. To their credit, though, like I said, T2 was able to hold out for most of the game until they conceded the equalizer in the 86th minute and, unfortunately, a game winner in the 93rd minute. Uh, to San Antonio's credit, they never gave up and went into a serious scramble mode in about the final... 15, 20 minutes of the game. Um, I, I feel they really, really wanted that win. They were pretty desperate for that. So credit to them. They got all three points. They they really wanted that win. Um, with the T2 players, I just feel that the, you know, they had guys who probably had not gotten enough minutes this season. Um, they got a little bit gassed, lost focus before the final whistle, and it cost them all three points. It happens, and it's going to happen. I mean, this won't be the only loss we're going to take this season. We're not going to be perfect. Um, but as it as we see in the next game against uh, RGV away, the T2 is definitely there correctly, and they can bounce back. Um, and if you hear all that paper shuffling, guess who's here? Josh has joined. That's my notes. How's it going? Good. How are you? Not too bad. Only a couple minutes in. Just going over the San Antonio game. So, did you know that T2 is on a 1.857 points per game pace? Listering, I did not know that. Listering pace. Uh, just, I just thought... What did was, we say a couple years ago? I thought uh, anything like a, anything approaching the two, 
two points a game was uh, playoff bound type numbers. So that's really close to guaranteeing a playoff spot though we're early in the season. I, I think T2 is going to be Good form, though. Very good form. Oh, yeah. I think they're going to be making the playoffs. I mean, if they keep that if they keep that pace, if they not don't improve and don't get worse, they'll earn another 37 points over the last 20 games, which will end them on 63 points, and that's more than the past two seasons combined. <laughs> not that it takes <laughs> much because 2017 only had 15 points, but the two seasons yeah. where T2 actually did – halfway decent and nearly made playoffs in 15-16, those two seasons combined only 70 points. So 63 points is really close to that. Um, and then our USL show prediction algorithm actually uh, has T2 ending on 60. So we're that's really not far off their current pace. Um, unfortunately, 60 points as it stands with our prediction algorithm will only be good for fourth place. Still in the playoffs, though. It, it basically shows that, that there's going to be a really tight race uh, in the West for position. So 63 points could be like second place versus fourth place. And every point is going to matter depend if they want a better playoff seed. But right now they're on pace to get a home playoff seed. So, and that's despite the loss to San Antonio. So, hmm. um, up next, worth yeah. talking. What was it up next? We're talking about Timbers. Uh, win their fourth round U.S. Open Cup versus San Jose. We're going to talk about it because uh, pretty much almost all the players are either were either two T two players, four of them, and everybody else has actually spent a significant amount of time with T two this season. So we're going to go ahead and talk about it. Um, we had Ibobasi coming on at the break, trying to provide a spark in the T two game in Texas. So of course he comes. He comes back. He helps the first team win their fourth round U.S. Open Cup match against San Jose. Uh, San Jose was pretty close to full strength, right? Was Wondolowski... As far as I could... Yeah. I mean, Wondolowski started, so as far as I could tell, their squad was... That was their attempt at having a full-strength squad, but they're having a terrible season. Yeah, I know that they had their DP people play, their TAM people sub on, uh, like Huzin subbed on, their other TAM... Like Huzin's their DP, he subbed on... Boozin was there. Uh, some other guy was there. Uh, Tam player. He sub. He subbed on. Wondolowski started. Um, but uh, but our primarily guys that have played with the second team pretty much played them off the field. Um, I think it probably should have been better than a two 0 result. Uh, the T two players that were loaned down: Loria, Lewis, Zambrano, and Vuelto. Um, not loaned down. Loaned up. They're loaned up for this game. Uh, the best two of those players, Loria and Zambrano, got the bulk of the minutes. Lewis was an unused substitute, and Derrickson Vuelto came on in the 88th minute for Loria. Um, but I think the big reason why Marvin Loria and Renzo Zambrano did so well for the first team is because they've been tearing it up for T2. Um, and this season, I knew that if we did end up loaning up some T2 players, they would actually work out this season. Didn't last season be for obvious reasons. Um, but this season, T2 has been doing so well. You know, you've got players like McIntosh, Jadama, Toiloma, Vitas, Aspria, Barnby, Ababasi, Langsdorf, and Williamson, uh, Williamson, all on first team contracts, all getting significant minutes. Um, a, a number of them, almost all of their minutes, so huge bulk, 
Um, players like Toiloma and Vitas and Varmi, not as much, but still plenty of minutes with T2. Um, Chara, I think, was the only primarily first-team 11 player, like person who's pretty much always in the 11 that played in that game, and everybody else um, had either had seen some sort of T2 minutes this season. Uh, so yeah, this is a game like like that open cup game is where you can see the re- like a, an actual result of having a successful second team. These these guys, this T two is is successful. It's providing valuable minutes to keep the first team depth fit, sharp, able to go out there and destroy a fairly first choice San Jose squad. Um, I, I and, mean that's how it should that's how it should work. And for some for some reason these Timbers one point five squads just didn't work out the last couple of years it was it almost became a punchline but as the last match showed i mean that that's ideally how it should work if both squads are being coached with the same philosophy and the same intensity then those players when they do get to shuffle into a meaningful match it it shows uh that they're training at the same level as the first team instead of being an albatross like they had been the last couple of years in those meaningful cup matches. Mm, exactly right. That's exactly right. Yeah, I, and I think a big reason of why that everything's kind of turned around for T2 is that there is more communication, more sharing. Uh, the bridge between the first and second teams is stronger. Uh, I know there was an episode a while back, I think we mentioned that uh, T2 in last season had, I think, two players uh from the first team had gotten like the top 12 minutes this season there's like six or eight of the top like minutes played on t2 our first team loanees so you know the first thing right off the bat is that that the club's actually using t2 for what they should be using it for you know keeping Mm -hmm. the guys fit keeping them sharp keeping them you know giving them recovery minutes when they need to be out there um and, and using that, it's like these guys are getting minutes. They're, they're staying sharp. They're staying fit. They're continuing to compete, I think, uh, with the addition of, of, you know, maybe the – I haven't been out to training at all this year, and I don't know if I will ever make it out to training. But in seasons past, you know, the first team trained – and then the second, and then T two trained after them, but there was a you know un, enough of a gap that it was a pretty, you know, independent teams training. Um, it's entirely possible that now it's it's much more everybody training together, perhaps, which would be awesome. Um, there's got to be certainly more communication. I mean, Geo and Cameron probably know what's going on with the other with the other side. Uh, they know what players to use. Um, I think they're both obviously on the same page, uh, and and I think I think maybe the biggest reason is is the mentality the players understand this season that going to T two is not a punishment. In seasons past, it kind of felt like some of the first team players getting sent to T two felt like a punishment for them. You know. Mm. They they just weren't they weren't in it they they were not there mentally and I think that attributed a lot to some of these T one point five games just you know crapping the bed but 
with all of this competition, all this talent, everybody, like everybody's fighting and playing for the badge and they're doing it on both the second and first teams. Everything seems to be clicking and I love it. It's good. And, and this T2 is a strong base upon which to build an excellent first choice 11 for the first team. Especially going forward, because Marvin Loria and Renzo Zambrano are probably going to be players we see on a first-team contract sooner rather than later. Um, That's nice to say. Yeah, this is nice. It's nice to have an answer to that to that question: Who's next, or what do you see? You know, who do you see as the next? Oh, Marvin Loria, first-team player, and we weren't able to answer that question last year at all. Oh no, we had players that we had some players that we liked, and I think. Me even like maybe the number one player that I saw last year that I you know that I liked last year. I just I don't think we've even mentioned his name. Um, so it's it's really interesting to see what's going on with his squad. Yeah, and some of the people that they picked up towards the middle of last season, like Tuiloma and Zambrano, they've they've definitely they've stuck mm-hmm. around and they've developed very well. Um, but Marvin Laureate, he looks like the re- real deal. Um, I've continued to be more and more impressed with Loria's uh, pace, skill, uh, his work rate. Um, it's it's been pretty crazy, and and honestly, he's looking like the person on a T two contract that could be making the jump to MLS much sooner rather than later. Like mm-hmm. potentially this season. I I don't know if he will because. You have so much young attacking depth already on first-team contracts that have been performing quite well. Eric Williamson, Foster Langsdorf, etc. Um, already doing just blowing my expectations away, certainly, especially Foster. After those first couple games, I was like, oh, man, uh, he's used to improve, and, and he, he turned things around real fast. So... Um, next game to talk about T2, they won 1-0 at Rio Grande Valley. So it was back to Texas for another Saturday match. T2 goes in front first again. This time, though, they hold out, get all three points, and tack on another shutout. Because why not? You have seven, you're tied with Pittsburgh and Orange County, make it eight and take the lead. The difference in this game is really hard to say. Um, there may have been some confidence from players performing really well in the U.S. Open Cup. Um, I didn't see a whole lot of difference um, in the lineup other than Langsdorf was back. Um, Mulligan was back as an out, was on the outside. I think Smith was opposite him. Um, it, you know, there, there, there were a couple changes, but it wasn't like an all-across 11 change. Mm-hmm. So... I wouldn't. I'm not. I wouldn't tack up the lineup being the whole reason why they were able to actually pull out the result this time. Um, probably part of it might be, like I said, gaining some confidence with like Zambrano and Loria played in all three games this week. They, but I think they gained a lot of confidence playing the U.S. Open Cup and performed much better at Rio Grande Valley. Um, Rio Grande Valley themselves did not look nearly as desperate for a result as San Antonio did. Um, T2 had 37 clearances to 
Rio Grande Valley is eight. So one additional clearance compared to the game against San Antonio. Um, but with Langsdorf back in the side, the shots went from four total to four shots on target. Um, in, against San Antonio, it was four total, one on target. This game, it was seven total, four on target. Rio Grande Valley had 17 shots total, but only two of them on target. So the defense uh, seemed to be a little bit more improved. Um, I watched the game. I watched both games, San Antonio and Rio Grande Valley. Rio Grande Valley uh, really seemed to have a significantly larger field than I'm used to. I don't know if it was their camera angles or what, um, but if they do have a much larger field, that maybe maybe having some additional room helped T2 uh, to get around. I'm not I'm not not really sure. Josh Phillips got uh, his first goal of the season off of a Barnby set piece in the 14th minute. And pretty much T2 held on for the remainder of that match. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, the idea is that they did not concede in the 86th or 93rd minute and are bringing home all three points. So basically, this is a much more successful game for T2 based on a very similar, if not identical, strategy to the San Antonio match. Um, but obviously better defensively because they got the shutout. Certainly better going forward because they gained a couple extra shots. Um, you know, and of course, what few chances T2 did carve out for themselves, they put on target. So if you're going to take a, only a few shots, like seven, you're going to want to get most of those, if not all of them on target. And I think seven out of four, four out of seven is not too bad. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, it's a very good win. Um, it's a win. I, I think T2 probably should have gotten six points out of this Texas road trip. Uh, I totally understand why they didn't at San Antonio. Um, so it's, you know, I'm not just not sad about it at all. San Antonio, they wanted that win a lot more than T2 did and they deserved it. They got it. So congrats to them. But, uh, you know, three points out of six on a road trip, not that bad. (laughs) No, I mean, and there's a disparity between the teams. I mean, Rio Grande Valley is like third from the bottom of the table. I don't know. We, haven't been going over the uh, table as as uh, with the you know the fine tooth comb this year as we did in years past, but there's definitely something to that table, um, especially you start to see separation. Um, you know this point in the year, in Rio Grande Valley, as much as you know T two looks like a team that's playoff bound, Rio Grande Valley. I mean, I think they're seventeenth or something like that. They're just not. They're just not a playoff bound team, um, and it showed. You know, in San Antonio, uh, you know, it's just a, there's a there's a um, a disparity between those Texas teams. So, and you you sort of saw that play out. Of course, there are other, you know, as you as you pointed out, um, there are other things. You know, that finally that sort of the way that the Timbers uh, approach the game sort of has an impact on on the results as well. Um, but yeah, Rio Grande, you could just see the as you noted, they're just not as desperate for it. And, you know, that's probably coming from a leadership on their end of the deal. So, um, but this is not a Rio Grande Valley FC Toros uh, podcast. So somebody else can cover that. (laughs) Exactly. So, um, yeah, I think between those two teams, San Antonio is the better side. But Mm -hmm. I don't know right now if either of them are looking like playoff sides. Um, But if I had to pick one of them, it would be San Antonio without question being the side that could potentially climb up into a playoff spot. Um, so that would be those three games. Uh, one, someone did ask today, or maybe actually a couple days ago, 
Um, I promised him I would cover the Derrickson Vuelto situation, kind of in general, um, what's been happening and everything. So he's been getting minutes ever since his loan situation seemed to be, I don't know, clarified, I guess, if that's the word I'm really looking for. Uh, we know he had all like less than 15 minutes across, I think, two games for a number of weeks. Um, like, like he had like 15 minutes total between two games. Then we never saw him for a couple of weeks, uh, and that's even and that's after the first couple of weeks of the game of the season where he wasn't, we didn't see him. That was because they were trying to get the paperwork straight just so he could play, and then probably part of it was working up to game fitness. Um, I I want to say that there was some news or something out there. I don't know if it was a rumor or whatever, but potentially he was unsettled and wanting to return um, mm. to Hunters. I, I could be wrong there. It could have been something else entirely. But but what I'm pretty sure is that there there was some news, and I'm pretty sure Reifer had mentioned this or covered it before he ret- quote-unquote retired, um, where basically everything kind of finally came together for Vuelto and the club and that he was definitely going to stay with T2. Um, so whether that was, you know, rectifying the loan situation, paperwork, uh, whatever, maybe he just decided, hey, this will work out for me. I do want to stay. What, whatever hurdle or hurdles were in the way, they got over them. And after that, he's been probably playing at least 45 minutes in just about every game, um, I think. So, which is good. I mean, he, he's obviously, uh, I mean, my problem is he's not impressed me so far. Not saying he's bad, just mm. that he hasn't really shown me anything spectacular enough to where I'd want to be playing him ahead of Langsdorf, Jeremy, or really even Augie Williams right now. Um, but, you know, the only way you can get better is to play. So I, I'm not against him playing. Uh, the competition is good, and he might surprise us after settling in some more. Who knows? Uh, but and, and so he's definitely far, far from lost cause. Um, but it is right now. There's probably better options at this time. Hard to argue though when T2 is still getting results, no matter who plays up top. Um, I'm probably giving him a hard time, only because he was downright awful in San Antonio in the first half, um, pretty much invisible. But you know, he earned himself, I think, two minutes plus stoppage time in the U.S. Open Cup. Um, he played again with uh, against Rio Grande Valley. Um, I can't remember if he started or if he subbed on, but he got more minutes there. Um, I, 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 it'd be nice if I think once he gets a goal, I think we'll probably see some better play from him. Um, but that's generally what's happened. There was, there was something that. I don't remember, but I remember hearing something about. <laughs> I think he was unsettled, wanting to return. That all basically got resolved, and now he plays. Is the long and short of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I so, mean, I just saw a couple tweets about it, so I don't know how much furor there was between him, his agent, and and the organization, or if it was just you know a couple high-profile tweets that got the attention of of the fan base. Um, but it, yeah, it seemed to have been resolved as quickly as it was an you know, had become an issue. So uh, it didn't stand out as a problem just as much as his play doesn't stand out as uh, fighting for um, starting time on the yeah. pitch. But, but he's getting the minutes. And, and like yeah. I said, the, the best way to improve is to continue to play. 
So uh, if he's gonna if he's gonna play, uh, I'm fine with get him getting 45 minutes out there as long as results still keep coming in, which they are. Mm-hmm. It's good. Uh, but yeah, bottom line, what if there was ever an issue? I don't know if there was, but whatever. If there were issues, everything's been resolved. Everybody's uh, happy, and he's playing. And um, I will be excited when, if he gets starting to, to, to score goals. Um, so that's about it for T2. Um, Derrickson, the games, the U.S. Open Cup. Um, Josh, you've got uh, about 10, 10 to 12 minutes to cover fourth division. <laughs> if that's yeah. enough time. Are you um, going to go over future games before or after fourth division? After. Okay. Yep. Sorry, I'm, I'm having some uh, connection issues with my email, and I'm surprised I was able to get online here. So my service oh, okay. is regionally down, so I don't know. I didn't get to see your notes. Um, uh, USL PDL, fourth division, Oregon soccer. Um, so we're talking Lane United and Portland under 23s are fourth and fifth in the USL PDL Northwest table, respectively. Portland Timbers under 23s are not doing as well as I anticipated, though I think there's a a big match um, coming up between them and Lane United, who are both they have one less game than the rest of the field. So uh, Benji Michelle, who was a standout player last year, is sort of leading the way with only three goals. So um, six matches in and their leading goal scorer only has three. And their leading assist, uh, Ray Ortiz Flores, only has two assists. So, um, you know, goals and assists are being distributed, but there's not a high number. So you know they're they're sort of uh, only on eight points when Calgary Foothills and TSS Rovers are on fourteen and thirteen points with, you know, only one more match played. So kind of, um, you know, about halfway through, well, about a quarter of the way through the USL PDL season, and um, let's see, you know, but the the Timbers under twenty threes they started with a five match road schedule, so that's sort of hard to just just like the first team, you know. Um, sort of hard to get a, um, get an understanding of what the team is really about when they're sort of starting off um, on such an uneven uh, uneven ground. So they um, they play their home game in Bend um, first Lane United. I think it's just an obligation to a sponsor that they have, and then after that they play uh, their next home game, their real deal home game on June 22nd, 7 p.m. in McCullough in Salem. So um, I think they only leave Oregon after that one more time to play at Sounders um, for the rest of the season. So they should really – they have the talent. Um, I think the Timbers under 23s, those numbers on the goals, assists, and all those stats should come up once they get home and they they get in a comfortable run of play. Um, so go out and see the Timbers under 23s on June 22nd at 7. Um, Lane United, uh, their goal leader is William Spur. He's got three, and Kyle Coffey has another three. So they're, they're doing a little bit number, a little bit better in the numbers. Um, they, they are one place ahead in the standings. Five of their last eight are at home at Les Schwab Sports Park in Springfield. Um, so if they can find some consistency 
um, they'd be able to string some points together for a, a strong end of the season. And, but they've had more of a balanced schedule with very mixed results. So I'm not as confident that Lane United will be able to challenge for a top spot. Um, they're a good team. They're well coached. But I think that the results have been really um, just all over the place. Whereas I think the, the Timbers under 23s, I think we just haven't had a chance to see what they can do. Um, so Lane United's next home match is also Friday, June 22nd versus the Victoria Highlanders, and that is at the Les Schwab Sports Park in Springfield. So if you're in Southern Oregon, go check that out. Uh, the NPSL standing, so also Division Four, but in that other league, uh, you've got FCM, <clears throat> FCM Portland and PDX FC. And FCM Portland, they have eight different goal scorers uh, who have contributed 14 goals. Obviously, I'm not going to read all of the goal scorers, but um, former Timber Freddie Braun um, is the leading goal scorer with four goals so far this season. And former Timber Stephen Evans actually just scored his first goal um, in their most recent win. Uh, so, you know, they've got a uh, – They've got a doubleheader coming up away to Spokane on the 16th and 17th. This is a strange scheduling. I mean, they're doing, you know, kind of like in the old USL days where the they had to make the most of the travel. Um, so they kind of do one one night and then another game the next night. Um, so uh, they've got to go up to Spokane on the 16th and 17th and uh, try to pick up some more points. So, but they're they're up at the top in second place, FCM Portland, with um with twelve points on seven games played. And that's not bad. Then they have uh, two of their last three are at home in Portland, including the very last match of the year, which is the rubber match versus PDXFC on Saturday, June thirtieth. And uh, speaking of PDXFC, they um they've had a real slow start to the season. I know we. We haven't spoken uh, fourth division soccer in some time, so just to get you caught up on the the last of our four teams, they um, they've lost three, they've they've drawn two, they've only won one match. Um, but interestingly enough, how no opponent has actually scored more than two goals. So it was one of those things I harp I harped on uh, uh, early about T two last year um, that they just haven't really been blown out you know so pdxfc this year they just haven't really been blown out no team has scored more than two goals in any game against them so the defense is stable it's reliable um they play a 4-2-3-1 so there's a real strong you know a defensive end there you know uh hold their own ground they have a good goalie um they just have had trouble creating and finishing chances um but then there was this mid-season acquisition just last week they kind of pipped a player from um, FCMP, uh, Rio Asai. Um, he's uh, like an attacking mid slash winger, and he just wasn't getting, I think he just wasn't getting time um, for FCMP and, uh, and and ended up coming over to PDXFC. Um, and he's had an immediate impact. So that one match that they won, well, that was this week, and he got his first goal for PDX in the 40th minute. He played 90 minutes, and I think he got an assist, but the, N the NPSL stats don't keep track of assists on their webpage, which is confounding. And if they do, I can't find all their statistics. The NPSL site is really um, 
they don't have a lot of good links and it's just not really well managed. Um, so in last week's match, Rio Asai got that goal and I think he opened it up and Derek Johnson, who played for the Tacoma Stars last year, so Derek Johnson got a brace and then Matthew Payne got a goal as well. So a team that hadn't been able to score more than one goal all year all of a sudden had a 4-0 win over last place OSA FC. Um, and PDX had actually been shut out since May 19th, but they let loose on that uh, last place team. Um, their last two home matches are this weekend with one of those, you know, those back-to-back schedulings that they had to um, make. So Friday the 15th and Saturday the 16th, um, on Friday they host that team they just beat uh, 4-0. So if they can beat them again Friday, they get that result, right? And then... Mm-hmm. If they can get a result on Saturday as well, that's six points. Well, that'll put them up on 11 points um, and even on games played with Kitsap Puma. So they'll be actually be tied for third. And all of a sudden, what looks like a desperate fourth place um, kind of puts them in the dogfight. So if they can win both, then they're in a playoff conversation. Um, and so that match against Kitsap Pumas on Saturday at 6 p.m. at Lake Ridge High School is actually the NPSL national match of the week. Um, so the team is working on trying to secure the services of somebody that's going to stream it. We're not 100% sure if we have a link for that stream yet, but as soon as I find out, of course, you know, I'll, I'll post it on all social media that I can. Uh, and then they have a, a they just like uh, FCM did, they have a doubleheader at Spokane on the 23rd and 24th. Um, and then they go to Starfire Complex, which we all love, on June 27th to face OSA FC. And then they finish in Portland, um, but in what's a, an away match to uh, FCM at Buckman. So really the last home match for PDX FC is this weekend. Um, uh, barring the possibility of a playoff match. So if you're so inclined, there's no T2 on Saturday. There's no first team on Saturday. Um, the Thorns are at 5 p.m., but they're away. Um, so come on out to Lake Ridge High School. I mean, it's not as close as they had been playing at Concordia University, but it's you know it's still local soccer, and um, these guys could really use a crowd to sort of cheer them on as they go into a really important stretch of the, of the uh, season for them. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's kind of, we'll, we'll get you caught up in a couple of weeks on how that all went down. <laughs> yeah. So, and Lake Ridge is a nice place. Um, yeah. So that'll be fourth division. Thank you very much, Josh. Absolutely. Um, and yeah, and like you said, go out and, and both of us are, are kind of, partial to pdxfc for obvious reasons um josh even more obvious than me <laughs> mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah go go support even if you want to support fc in portland um freddie brown uh, how old is he i you know i don't know he's he, i mean i don't think he's too old i think he's you know probably in his late 20s to be honest with you uh, you know sort of like S- steven evans I mean, there's there's no age requirement it's an, no. it's, it's an amateur slash semi-pro league so it's one of those things like uh, uh you know pdxfc has a uh, derek johnson who's was a i think he was a sounders academy player and then played for the tacoma stars and he's just one of those players you've got a handful of these guys they're not the high school seniors like johnny rodas hills 
um, you know, Johnny Rotosills was the 2017 Oregon State Player of the Year. Uh, so he plays on PDXFC. I think he's all of 18 years old and graduated high school this year. Um, he'll be in the Timbers Academy next year. So, you know, maybe, you know, depending, I think he's going to go to Oregon State. So anyway, so that's the kind of player like we normally think of when we think of Division Four is that high school senior, that college, that college player. But mixed in there, um, you've got sort of that experienced guy, uh, you know, played different leagues, different levels, and is still trying to make it work. And, you know, nobody at this level is actually getting a paycheck out of it. So, you know, most of these guys have day jobs, uh, and then they go to training in the afternoon, and then they play uh, their their matches. And, you know, they've got to make time in their schedule just like any of us do to go support them. So um, that anyone like Stephen Evans is is still giving it a shot, or or Freddie Braun is you know scoring braces in a match. Um, you know, you know, kudos to him. Yeah, absolutely. So um, upcoming for T2, uh, tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow's Wednesday the 13th. We're recording on Tuesday. Oklahoma City Energy comes to Portland. Um, they play at Providence Park. Uh, I believe it's a 7 p.m. kickoff, if memory serves right. Mm -hmm. um, right after that is going to be... Is it... Oh, Sunday. Sunday, it's Father's Day. That's right. Because mm -hmm. 2 p.m. at Merlot Field... T2 will host Colorado Springs switchbacks. Mm -hmm. I remember that because it's on Father's Day and I have other plans and I'm going to be probably missing yet another T2 game. <laughs> um, but I should be I should be at the uh, Oklahoma City game. Um, so for our next episode, we will cover those two games. Uh, T2 has two full weeks off after Colorado. Two full entire weeks off um then they and when that's over they travel to face reno in reno on june 30th um last bit of news josh phillips watch still no real update mm. um front office uh, i'm still in communication with them they asked me what my schedule was like on thursday friday and i'm very busy so <laughs> at some point this season, we will have Josh Phillips on the show, whether it's going to be just a interview that I splice into the show or if he's going to be on the actual show itself, we'll find out. Um, but look look for that in, in the next, maybe next episode. I mean, if T2 has two weeks off, my sincere hope is that I have time to track down Josh Phillips and even potentially Foster Langsdorf. I would love to interview him and get him on the show. Mm -hmm. um so maybe we can work something out since they'll have two bye yeah. weeks we do i got a question for you kev Yo. um with the match at home with okc energy on the 13th which is as we're recording on tuesday the 13th being tomorrow um and then the match first colorado on sunday there is a U.S. Open Cup match on Friday, which is why I did not really make a big deal out of the PDXFC match on Friday, because I think I know where our dear listeners will be paying attention. Mm -hmm. uh, that U.S. Open Cup, with that sort of being bookended by legitimate T2 matches, how many T2 players do you think will be called into action on Friday night to help the Timbers uh, get past LAFC. I don't know. Where is it LAFC or is it LA Galaxy? 
It's LA Galaxy. LAFC okay. we're gonna are gonna play host to Sacramento. Okay. Republic. Um that's kind of a hard one. Uh as some of our dear listeners um who love to listen to the show as soon as it comes out will be listening to this on the day of the US Open Cup match. Um so they could be listening to us talk anywhere from two to eight to ten hours before the kickoff. Mm-hmm. Um it's hard to say. I think Wednesday will be a normal lineup for T2. I don't think they're going to throw anything out the door. Um, it's going to be very helpful that all three games are at home. So you're going to see some some lineup rotations. Uh, I think I think with OKC Energy, that's probably going to be where T2 plays a normal, hopefully mostly normal lineup um, and doesn't try to save too much for the U.S. Open Cup game. Um, I feel that Giovanni probably wants to win a trophy and sees the U.S. Open Cup as a good opportunity. Um, I don't know if they're going to play a full first team. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say, like, if anyone does get loaned up, I would say two players tops. I don't see anyone other than Marvin Loria and Renzo Zambrano being loaned up for that game, if they loan anyone up. Now, there could still very well be um, some of the players. A lot of the guys that played against San Jose could be in that, but they're all on first-team contracts. So the question is to see who. I, I'm thinking that game might almost be like against San Jose in in the starting 11, mm-hmm. but the bench, instead of being T2 players, will be, be first-team starters. I guess the other part of the equation is that there's no regularly scheduled MLS match this weekend, so uh, there's no need to skimp on first-team players on Friday night for uh, Coach Savarese. Um, also true that's right yeah. that's actually that's actually why i think they moved the game up to friday is because this weekend there's no mls games at all it's the mm-hmm. only weekend that mls has off for the world cup and so it's a good opportunity to keep enough rest so so you actually might see first team lineups uh actually first team last by both teams which is fine because uh, hopefully T- the timbers will still win so it might not affect t2 at all which hopefully it doesn't because with Oklahoma City energy being an absolute disaster of a team and Colorado Springs, they're not a spring chicken either. Mm. Um, it's literally has six points written all over this weekend, uh, this, this week for T2. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it would be great to get six more points before they headed to travel to Reno, which that'll be a tough, tough road trip. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's what they got coming up. So. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. We got to wrap it up. So you can find me on Twitter at KMCamishPDX, at PTK Podcast, at Stumptown Footy, at the USL Show. I'm all over the place. Uh, you can find Josh on Twitter at Joshua R. Duter. Um, and then thanks to our sponsor, Roughneck Scarves, official scarf supplier of MLS, USL, and US Soccer. Get custom scarves for your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. And thanks also to the Beautiful Game Network. You can find us on bgn.fm or playthekids.com. Don't forget to subscribe using the links to iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher via playthekids.com. I'm so happy that we have our own website, and it's so easy to remember. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the best part of the the whole deal with them. Um, So that's it for me and Josh. 
everybody have a great day. Bye.